Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. Hi, Burton. Thanks so much. Um, it's great to be here. It's interesting, Burton saying about being at my house and, and uh, as a young couple, him and Natalie came. And recently, my oldest daughter attends Johnson County uh, Community College. And Burton and Natalie have opened up their home to a college student uh, from Lawrence named Elia, who is Elia Mast. She's been here. And she is one of my daughter's good friends. So my daughter has gotten to spend the night. Um, usually, she's two nights a week, maybe at Burton and Natalie's house. And she said, Mom and Dad, it's like what we used to when we used to have college students all the time staying at our house. This is what Burton and Natalie are doing at their house, and it just warmed my heart. You know, it's so great. I just appreciate them so much for opening up their home for my daughter. And you know, it's for so many years we were able to do that, and now to see other people doing that is so great. Um, but it's so good to be here. It's so good to see Dave. Him and I got to be roommates um, when I first became a Christian, and we both had a lot more hair, um, and that that has disappeared appeared, but the hair on our face continues to grow. So that's a good thing. But I'm here today. Um, I live in Lawrence, and I have five children, uh, my wife and I. Um, we have uh, our daughter Lily is here with me today. Lily, can you want to wave everybody? Yeah. And then um, she has, uh, we, we brought her friend Aquila. Wave Aquila. Come on. First time here, right, Aquila? Maybe. And Arasi, right? Arasi, yeah. Uh, both from Johnson County. So it's great. Uh, I'm glad they could both make it and, and come here today. So um, today we're going to take a journey. I think you guys have been working on a series called The Resurrected Life. And today we're going to do that. Uh, what does re- resurrected life can look like at work? Okay, at work. And uh, first, I want to show you uh, that your work matters to God. And then I want to describe how you can be on mission um, when you're at work. Okay. Um, like Burton said, I uh, was a lawyer for three years at a big law firm, probably the second largest law firm here in Kansas City. Um, and then I went and started a fin- two, financial, two different financial firms doing two different things. Um, and then I was called to come to full-time ministry. So... Over the years, I've had many people describe their work to me, and they usually describe their work with two words, I just. And educators typically say, you know, I just teach math, or I just teach English. Uh, Others might say, you know, I just fix cars, or I make coffee for a living. Others say, I just pack boxes all day, or I work in a factory, or I just make a little part on a computer. Or maybe I design stuff. Home educators sometimes might say, I just stay at home with my kids. Like that's not an important thing, right? Um, Some of us might say, I just, because we want to stay humble, you know? Others uh, might say, I just, because we never hear, well done. Or because we can't see the value of our work. And still others say, I just, because we simply work for money or because we lack direction and merely do as as we're told. And unfortunately, I think many followers of Jesus live under the illusion of their, that their work is not as important and God-honoring as the work of others. And so we want to dispel that a little bit today. 
Um, another common thing I hear is my dream is to one day, this is I've heard a lot because I was working in the financial industry with a lot of people who are trying to save a lot of money so that they can one day, the way they say, save enough money so I can quit my job and do real kingdom work. On the one hand, I love to see people say yes to God's call, but at the same time, I cringe a little bit. Because as if real kingdom work only takes place when you're a full-time minister or you're doing volunteering at your church or you get, you know, you're getting a paycheck from a not-for-profit, that's the only way you, you're doing real ministry. You know, I'm many, I think many people think this way because um, maybe we pastors uh, have taught them to think this way. You know, and, and I, I really believe, I really believe that it's a struggle for those who work for typical employers to see the connection between their worship on Sunday and their labors Monday through Saturday. What if we took a step back and viewed the, our work a little bit differently? Let's, let's take a step back. What if instead of saying, I jest, we say, I get to? Okay? What if we viewed our Monday to Saturday work as a kingdom mission? Because it is. It is. Every day when you go to work, it's a kingdom mission. And how do I know that? Because God gives us direction in the first few pages of the Bible. Read with me here in Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Anybody know what dominion means? Just shout it out. What does it mean? Rule. Right, okay. Over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That takes some work, right? And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So basically, he's telling us, man and woman, get to work and rule the place. He's telling us that. Humans are commanded to rule over the earth, which is divinely delegated stewardship. You know, he's basically taking care of something for someone else. Second, humans are designed by God to be his image bearers, to uniquely reflect who God is in the world. At a very foundational level, we must recognize that our image bearing reveals that God is a creator, a worker. Being made in God's image, we have been designed to work to be fellow workers with God. It's our job to show off God's excellence, creativity, and glory to the world. That's our job. He gives us all the raw materials in his creation, and it's our duty to use them by creating things ourselves, by doing work. And our work fills the earth with good things, products and services, knowledge and beauty, organizations and communities, and it can bring human flourishing. You know, I think back to when I was a kid growing up, I'm a little bit older, there was no such thing as a cell phone. And in a short period of 20 years, how cell phones have become it's amazing, these computers in your pocket that can do everything. Amazing. I mean, we were going, man, I don't know how we survived without those things, you know? It's amazing what it can do. But that's because man and woman were creative and came up with something, this computer in a pocket that can do so many great things to make our life easier. In Genesis 2.15, um, he says, 
The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. You know, I think again we see that God gives Adam and Eve work. It's not something that they ultimately choose for themselves. It's something which God calls them. And it's the same for us. We're commissioned by God to nurture, to care for, and to protect his creation. Even before sin enters the world. That's the cool thing. God is saying all this before sin enters the world. You know, sometimes I think we think that, oh man, work was like from the devil. Um, the earth is perfect, and he says, work it and take care of the garden. So our work is not a result of sin, but it's a dignifying gift from God. I think it's pretty clear that our work matters to God. Well, now that we know that, let's talk, let, let's talk a little bit about how, how you can be on mission. You know, and i got a lot of stories, so I, I'm going to try to, you know, give you a little bit here and there of, of some stories of my life, and I hope that can encourage you to be on mission at work. I want to think back to when Jesus changed your life. I want you to think back. If you, if you are a follower of Jesus today, I want you to think back to when you made that decision to start following Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, let's talk afterwards. But how did you feel? Grateful? Thankful? Maybe you felt relieved? Maybe some people, some of you felt at home? And that was just the beginning. He was the missing piece that filled your brokenness. And as we begin to let him change our life, you start to have a deep desire to see your friends, your coworkers, your family, and others changed, restored, transformed. You start to think, I really want them to have what I have. And you probably don't realize it, but you are the message of Jesus in shoes. I remember early on when I first decided to start following Jesus, I called my sister, and I was very zealous. And I was like, oh, man, you won't believe what happened to me. And, I, and she was like, crickets on the phone. And she's like, you're a freak. <laughs> and uh, it didn't go well, maybe because I was a little bit too in her face right out of the gate. But she was like, I, I want my old brother who was a mess. And I'm thinking, why would you want that? But and we'll, we'll, we'll keep going. Um, you are the only Bible some people at your work will ever read. You, you are the only Bible that some people at your work will ever read. And sometimes they want it, and sometimes they don't. And regardless of their response, the Bible gives us clear instructions on what we're supposed to do with the good news we have received. Let's look at a few verses in Mark 16, 15, it says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. In 2 Corinthians 5, 20, it says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What's an ambassador? A representative, right? A representative on earth to bring God's kingdom we are supposed to make appeals. That he, God is appealing through us. In Matthew 28, 16 through 20, my kids will tell you that um, this, I'm addicted to this verse. I love this verse. It's just who I am. It just, they, they, if you ever ask them, what's your favorite verse? 
they know um, that it's these verses. But then the eleven disciples went to Galilee and to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, I love this idea of therefore go. And that I'm an activated person. I want to go and do stuff. So that verse really connects with me. Um, Jesus, in this, in this verse, he's, you know, he has authority all over all heavens and earth. He commands us to make disciples and to teach them to obey everything has he, he has commanded. Therefore go is not a suggestion. It's not a suggestion. You know, it's interesting because Jesus doesn't say that we should try to convert people and save them from hell. Jesus knew that he needed disciples to reach the world and to usher in his kingdom, to bring, basically to bring all things in alignment. Not just casual followers or the multitude. You know, if you just think, hey man, I just need my fire insurance, you know, to go to heaven, you, maybe you'd be a casual follower. He needed disciples, people that were all in, people that were going to aggressively pursue others and tell them about, hey man, you need to bring the kingdom of God. You need Jesus in your life. But still, we're still talking about it 2,000 years later. So how do we bring God's kingdom at work? My first point is you see people. You have to see people, okay? And you have to lift up your eyes, and you have to see people. Matthew 9, 10 through 13 gives us a great example of this. It says, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Matthew starts following Jesus, and then Jesus asks him to host a dinner party right out of the gate. I love it. I love dinner parties. He doesn't say, Matthew, let's get trained for the next few years. You know, let's go to seminary, you know, and you can't, reach, you can't reach anybody until you know a lot of stuff. No. He says, man, you're hosting a dinner tonight at your house. He says, Matthew, let's throw a party and invite all your lost friends, especially the people that are far from me. So Jesus and the disciples and all of Matthew's friends who... If you know anything about tax collectors in that culture, they didn't have many friends. But the friends they did have were tax collectors and outcasts. Okay? So he said, hey, let's go hang out with them. They had this fancy dinner. And I, I believe as a follower of Jesus, you should be doing the same. You should be finding ways to connect with people who don't follow Christ. You know, for many years... Um, you know, my, I tend to be more extroverted. My wife tends to be more introverted. After, after three nights in a row of having people over, my wife's like, yo, you need to chill for two days or something. We cannot have anybody over tonight. Who, please don't invite anybody. Like literally, and, and it's not her being mean. She just needs a break so she can recharge her batteries because I'm insane. I'll have people over every day. And so, but we, how do, how do we do this? Well, we have 
people over all the time, just inviting new people. I just meet on the street or meet in the, like at a whatever soccer event or a, you know wherever we're at, we're inviting people over. I met a guy recently um, at a uh, uh, where did I meet this guy? Let me think here. Um, I met this guy at a, a, a party. Just started talking to him. He was from California, moved here two years ago, um, and he bought some land out south of town in Lawrence and near Baldwin. And I met him, and we just, hey, man, let's go to lunch. We went to lunch, had a great time. And I was like, man, you ought to bring your family over and let's have dinner, you know, whatever. And so we, so we brought him over, had dinner. He told me his wife liked Coors Light. I made sure I had Coors Light there. I, don't, I was like, wow, Coors Light, really? But anyways, um, you know, had the Coors Light there ready for her. You know, I had the tall boy for her. You know, every, it, was, it was good. She's like, man, you bought, you went in, you guys have Coors Light here? I was like, yeah, you know. Anyways, <laughs> we drink that regularly. No, um, but we had him over, right? We had him over. We had a great time. You know, they're like, oh, man, you need to come over. Come show you. We're going to come bring your kids to see the goats and see all the stuff at our house. You know, we're developing a friendship with this couple who's lost. We do this regularly. We host, I, I tend to always, the, my kids' sports, I try to be the coach. I know, and I, some sports I didn't know very well, so I had to learn, and I've learned a lot over the years. But what do we do? We always host parties during the season. At the end of the season, I would make sure we have an awards night so I can have the parents over to hang out at our house and meet them and connect with them. And, and many people have come to know Jesus through that. Just inviting people over. It's things that you're interested in. Find things that you're interested or find things that they're interested and then do them. I remember one time I was at the, um, at the law firm and there was a male guy, like a male guy that, you know, and, and at law firms, law, lawyers sometimes, and I was a lawyer, so I know Devin's a lawyer. You know, we think we're better than other people sometimes. And, <laughs> and so a lot of lawyers would treat this guy really not so great. And I was like, man, I'm a young lawyer. Man, I'm like you. I'm, I'm like, I'm real people. Like, let's connect. So I would connect with this kid and he talked. And then I found out he likes karate. And I was like, dang, I don't like karate. <laughs> but I like this kid. So he's like, man, yeah, I do karate at Westport and this, blah, blah, blah. I was like, man, I'll go with you, bro. Like, you know, just go. And so I said one day I brought all my clothes and I went to this karate place in Westport. I'm about to, so I park my car, I get all my gear, I, I got my head, my gear on already, and as soon as I step in the door, the karate sensei, or whatever they call him, starts yelling at us, and I'm like, yo, 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 I didn't come here to get yelled at, like, right, and he's like, take off your shoes, blah, 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 and like, uh, and so then the, I proceed to get yelled at for an hour, the things you do for Jesus, right? But so this guy, I mean, literally, I went to this karate class. I got yelled at for an hour, hated every minute of it. But I, I think it meant a lot to this guy that I would go because I saw him. I saw him. And I tell you, you've got to see people. You've got to see people where, and, and see where, man, you just got to lift up your eyes from where you're at at work and see people. There's a lot of lost people around you. There's so many in so many of the different organizations, things that you're involved in. But, man, try to see what they're involved in, and maybe you'll learn something new. In my case, I just couldn't get into karate, sorry. But um, I believe that Jesus chose to eat with sinners, who were Matthew's guests, because they needed to know that repentance and forgiveness were available. And in this case, because of Matthew, Jesus had more access and c contact with sinners and tax collectors. <clears throat> Jesus was breaking societal taboos. You see, Jesus was trying to get to people's hearts. 
That's what we're trying to do, to get to people's hearts. And you can really do that well over a meal. When I read the Bible all through Jesus' ministry, it looks like he's looking for lost and hurting people. He's looking, he's looking, he's lifted his eyes. He's looking for people. He conversed with a despised Samaritan woman at a well, surprising even his disciples in, in John. He forgives an immoral woman in Luke 7. He helps a Syrophoenician woman in Mark 7. He touches a leper in Luke 5. And he enters Zacchaeus' house and dines with him in Luke 19. Again and again, Jesus extends his hands to sinners and shows love to the poor and hurting. Jesus came to save sinners, and he's modeling that for us. Jesus saw individuals not just their labels. Jesus didn't let social status and cultural norms dictate his relationships with people. He had compassion and sought to meet the needs around him. I just ask you today, are you taking the time to see the people around you? The people at your workplace, at the gym, at the grocery store, on your kids' teams. This is where you spend your time. Invest in the people around you. You know, there's a lot of lost and hurting people out there right now, and there's always been, but they're out there now, and we, and we need to go, we need to pursue them. They need to know the repentance and forgiveness is available to them. Who else is going to tell them if you don't? Like I said, you are the Bible for them. They're watching you. God has placed you in these spaces, and you have to take advantage of that. You know, early on in my law career, I, the summer before my law, um, before I came to work for the law firm, they do these things where they hire these summer associates, and I got to come and work at this law firm for the summer. They pay you really well. And basically, they do a lot of trips and concerts and fun things, take you to the Royals games and all this stuff, because they want to lure you to come to, get hire, to hire you to pay you a lot of money, but also to work you to the bone. And so they, they, this is what they do all summer, right? And so we did this all summer. I was not a Christian. And so I got to work with probably about 12 young people that were my age. And we had a great time. It was a great summer. Um, learned a lot. I came back, though, and I decided to work at this law firm. And I came back that fall when I got hired. And almost all of the 12 of us were back again together again. We had all uh, agreed to work there. But the, I had become a Christian between that time, in January of that year, the year before. So the summer happened, January 99, I became a Christian. And my life had been transforming. I had just gotten back from a, minute, uh, from a missions trip to Peru. Man, I was excited to go to work and tell everybody about Jesus. And there was this one guy that I had made a real connection with the summer before, and he was living like hell. And I was like, you know, I see this kid. This is a kid I'm going to pursue. So this kid, I'm going to tell you a short story about this kid. This kid was number one in his class at Washburn University in Topeka. He, him and I had become befriended. He was engaged at the time. His uh, fiance was a real nice lady. And um, he lived in Olathe, and he would drive to work on I-35 every morning. Our office was not too far from here. And he would smoke pot on his way to work and then go and charge people $200 an hour. Um, very, very bright guy, but just a little bit messed up, right? And so his office happened to be next to mine, and we became fast friends. And he started to see my life and see, like, man, what's up with Rich? This dude has changed. And I just started to impart to him and share with him and just care for him. And I started to share. I had the opportunity to share the gospel with him. And then 
he accepted it. He stopped smoking pot. I told him, this, man, you got to stop smoking pot on the way to work. You're charging people $200 an hour, and you're, like, not even thinking clearly. And so we just started, I just started having these conversations with him. We started doing Bible studies at lunch, and we started connecting. Man, and his faith grew, and he's transformed. Fast forward, I'll just tell you, this young man ended up, after I left the law firm, a few weeks later, he left. And today, he is a pastor of a 1,200-person church in Phoenix, Arizona, downtown, next to Grand Canyon University. Okay? This young man. But it happened because I lifted my eyes and saw a young man that was in need. Okay? You, you had the same opportunity. I didn't do anything special. I was actually probably making fun of him, calling out like, dude, you really smoke pot on the way? Are you an idiot? Like, I was saying stuff like that to him, right? But then I, I, quickly, I quickly transitioned to um, sharing the gospel, right? You're an idiot, so then you're, hey, here's the gospel. Yeah. <laughs> um, but my second point is they see you. They see you. So you see them, then they see you. What do I mean by that? They're watching your life. They're checking you out. Are you legit? Are you really who you say you are? You know, in sharing the word of God, Jesus ate with sinners and spent time with them. He wanted to spend a lot more time with me. He wanted to engage with me. He wanted to see what I thought about things. Seeing all of this, sinners were no doubt inspired to know Jesus better. They recognized Jesus as a righteous man, a man of God. Do people see you as righteous? Do they see you as a righteous person? Sure, you have flaws, you know, but you are trying to live the word out. You know, are you trying to let God's word shape you, or do they see you as a person who says one thing and does another? A hypocrite. That's the big problem, typically, is, you know, we're trying to preach to people, and we're not even doing it ourselves. And that's when people say, oh, Christians are hypocrites. Well, we got to be living it out. Maybe that's why some of us don't share, because we're like, oh man, my life, I'm not living it out, so how am I going to share it with you? Sure, you know, I think, um, you know, do, uh, the other thing is like, do they see you doing your work in excellence? Listen, if you do your work poorly at your job, if you're like one of the low 10, 20% at your job, man, it's going to be pretty hard to set, to like, really preach the gospel. They're going to be like, man, you don't even like care about your work. You don't even really do a good job. You got to do your work excellent. At work, at school, you got to be excelling. You can't be a, 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 a slacky. You know, I mean, seriously, you can't be a person that's barely hanging on or like doing like a half-assed job. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that in church. Sorry, Dave. Um, <laughs> But you know what I'm saying? I mean, you, you, yeah, do they see you mistreating people or standing up for those that are being bullied or mistreated at work? Or are you the one that's treating everybody like crap? It's like, hey, yeah, that's the Christian guy. He treats everybody like crap. Sweet. Yeah, that's a real testimony, right? If you're a follower of Jesus who is living a resurrected life, people at your workplace will be watching you. I remember as, so I told you that the summer I came back a different guy and I quickly became known as, man, Rich is the Christian guy. Be careful. If you get in a conversation with him, he might tell you about Jesus, right? And so I was living, I was living clean. I was living right. I was trying to do the best I could. Did I make every, do everything perfect? No, I was making a mess sometimes. Sure. But I was trying to live perfect and try, not live perfect. I was trying to live right. 
And then um, it's interesting. So people saw me. They knew, man, this guy is living for real. We had a thing at our firm, and uh, this is a crazy story. We had a thing at our firm that all the associates, and there was probably 40 of us. So we're all the people that um, work the eight hours a week, and then the partners kind of do a, take our work and go show all the clients. And so every other Friday, they would pay for us to go to the fa- any restaurant we wanted to in Kansas City. And you could drink on the firm. So every Friday, every other Friday at noon, like we were picking, you can imagine, name your fancy restaurant in town. We went, right? And we got to do this every other Friday. So all the associates never missed this. You like made sure that you didn't, you weren't on a trip, you were not a client appointment. You made sure, oh man, you didn't schedule anything on Fridays on noon on these, on these associate lunches. So I'm sitting there, there's probably 40 of us, and we have this private room. Maybe it was Ruth Chris, maybe it was whatever, one of these fancy places. And we're all sitting there talking, and, our, and then this one attorney, he would get in so much trouble if he said this today. He blurts out in the middle of this big meal, he says, Rich, everybody, you know how in the movies everybody gets silent when that, like, Rich, are you gay? I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> like, what did you say? I'm, I'm trying to live right, right? So I'm not, he saw me always with dating these girls and all this, and now I'm not dating anybody. I'm trying to build my faith. I'm trying to grow. I'm trying to live right and wait till I get married, right? Find a nice lady and all, whatever. He says to me, are you gay, in front of everybody, and then the whole music stops, Nobody, everybody stops talking, and everybody's like, what is Rich going to say? He would get to- so toasted saying that today, right? My friend, who I had been reaching out to, I get a little emotional because so, I was so thankful, he says, hey, so-and-so, what the heck are you talking about? Rich is a Christian, and he's trying to live for Jesus, and so he's waiting till he gets married. He's not trying to like, he's not gay. He's just waiting for the right girl. Everybody started talking again, moved on. I was like, thank you, Lord. Thank you for, that was awesome. But that was freaky for a second there. I was like, man, what am I going to have to do? Say all this in front of, oh man, this is going to be crazy. You know, so you're going to have to be open and transparent, you know, uh, People are going to be watching you. And this young man who said that to me, he was one of the people in the firm. They were watching me. What is this guy doing? And he had noticed that I was living differently. They notice if you're living differently, if you look like everybody else at your work, you're not probably living, doing the right thing. You should look different. We are a bit countercultural, especially now. And Jesus knew that they were watching his every move. He used that as an opportunity to keep introducing the good news of the kingdom and with those who, needed, who most needed to hear. You see, Jesus didn't require people to change before coming to them. He sought them out, met them where they were, and extended grace and mercy to them in their circumstances. Change would come to those who accepted Christ, but it would be from the inside out. I want you to, I'm going to show a brief clip from The Chosen that gives you this great representation of this, the, the verses that I 
showed you or told you about here initially. Watch this. from the red quarter, nearly tripping on his robes. <laughs> At fairy say running? <laughs> Somehow I can't see that. Oh. <laughs> I thought for certain he would trip and fall and I would be arrested. Oh, well, your luck, Rivka. Probably would happen, huh? Oh. <laughs> I thought for certain Lil was gone forever. I thought for certain Lil was gone forever. All right. Well, that's okay. Let's keep moving. It's okay. So basically, it's the scene where Jesus is eating with the, um, with the lost tax collectors and friends of Matthew. And it's a very powerful scene. The way Chosen does such a great job. If you haven't watched the series, it's one of the better Christian things that I've seen. Usually a lot of Christian stuff isn't the best, but this Chosen is really good. And this scene just signifies and shows, man, wow, Jesus is out there meeting with the lost, and we need to be doing that as well. The last point is you share with people. And I'm, I'm going to read Matthew 9, 9. Um, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. What, math, what moved Matthew to just get up and go with Jesus and his motley crew? I mean, Jesus called Matthew. Jesus drew Matthew. Jesus had been working on his heart. Perhaps Matthew had heard about this like radical street preacher named Jesus. In fact, I think Matthew displayed one of the most radically changed lives in the Bible in response to this invitation from Jesus. He didn't hesitate. He didn't look back. He left behind a life of wealth and security for poverty and uncertainty. He abandoned the pleasure of this world for the promise of eternal life. And it's clear that Jesus drew him. He had something that moved Matthew to give up everything in, this wor in his worldly life. And you have something special inside of you to share with the world. Each of you has a story that you need to share with the world. The Bible tells us in John 6, For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. That takes the pressure off. He says this, no one, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. Takes the pressure off. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 9 says, I planted the seed. This is Paul. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who, who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Here we see Paul describing the work he and Apollos do. They serve in God's field, and we serve in God's field. One is spreading the seed, and the other is following with the water bucket. You know, somebody had been moving in my friend Brian's heart. So God had been moving in his heart already. I just happened to be the one that got to maybe water that. Somebody had planted seeds already in his past. 
I just happened to look up and see it. You know, the, Paul and Apollos are co-workers, each performing a necessary task, doing the dirty work of establishing a crop. They might have different styles or unique approaches, but they are, fun, are in fundamental agreement about the gospel. You know, it's interesting. It's like, maybe your job is just to plant the seed with some people. Put that stone in their shoe. You know how you hate to have a stone in your shoe? A little pebble that just bothers you until you're like, man, i got to take off my shoe. Maybe you're the one that put a stone in somebody's shoe. Somebody else needs to water that stone. I bring these verses in John and Corinthians up because we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and we build up a lot of anxiety regarding sharing the good news. I mean, we get so worked up. Oh, I'm not going to say the right stuff, blah, blah, blah. Yes, we have a job and we need to do it. But Jesus does the calling and we participate. Paul and Apollos don't change hearts. God does. God does. He had already been working on Matthew. And today, God may be working on your neighbor's heart, your sweet mate in the dorms, your coworker, parents, a person on your kid's team. They, be, they could be going through some tough things. And as a follower of Jesus, you need to do your job. Our job is to just share about God's love and truth and what he did for us. You know, maybe some of you are old enough to remember in 2008. So at this point, I'm working in a financial firm. I'm, I'm an owner, a partner in this financial firm with two other guys. And 2008, 2007, there's a big financial crisis. Some of you may remember this. People were losing their houses. The houses were underwater. There was talk that the whole financial system could collapse. The con- Man, people were scared. It was a scary time. And I'm in the financial business, so I got a lot of scared people that are like, what the heck? What's going on? I felt like God told me, you know, Rich, you need to meet with every single one of your clients. Say, God, that's like 215, 220 people. Sure, I don't know if I can do this. He's like, over the next period of time, just meet with everybody. And when you meet with them, I want you to share your faith and pray for them. That was one of the most impactful times in my career as in the financial firm. Everybody knew I was a Christian at that point then. Maybe some that didn't know. People that were like atheists and were like, they were just... Yeah, I said, I, I, so I would finish our meeting. I'd tell them a little bit of my story. And then I said, can I pray for you? And I prayed for each client. You won't believe how many people said, man, that had such a, they were crying. They would open up and start telling stories. Man, that means so much to me. I mean, they, it just broke them. It was a powerful time for me. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, I got to save these people's money. I got to do a good job for them. And, and, and I just like, God, you got to come through. And they saw that, that I was relying on somebody, on somebody more powerful than me. And it was, it was a powerful, impactful time. And that's one way you can share, you know, share, the, share the, the message is praying for people, encouraging them and let, letting them see that you care about their, them and their, their life. I remember another time um, I was in the financial business, and I had hired this guy from Chicago. He was working at the Board of Trade. His name was Brent, and I had brought him in, and uh, we were going to a company conference in Iowa, and I had a, I love those times because I get time to sit in the car. He wasn't a Christian, and I get time in the car with him to just sit and talk, 
And so we were talking, and um, he was trying to take a nap in the back seat, and I just kept asking him questions. Um, and uh, he told me, yeah, you won't believe this. When we were at the Board of Trade, what we would do to qualify people to see if, you know, like if they would be able to be a customer is if we would offer this free research report if you call this number. So people would call this number. And he would qualify them to see if they had money to invest in you know, trading commodities and doing all that. If they didn't, he would not send them the free report. You only got the free report if you qualified. Well, I'm not going to be a person that holds back. I said, dude, that's lying. How are you a part of that? That's so dishonest. You're promising people this report, and then they call you for the report, and then you qualify them, and if they don't, you just, oh, yeah, we, didn't ever send, we never sent them the report. Dude, that's dishonest. That's wrong. That's, you, need to, that, that's, you need to see that that's wrong. Oh, no, man, that was all right. We was cool. You know, we got to see if they're qualified. He was trying to defend himself. So he, I was like, man, that, you got to see that that's wrong. That's dishonest. And you need to be, as a man, if you want to follow Jesus, you got to be honest to the nth degree. You can't be doing these little games. So obviously I pissed him off. He didn't want to talk to me then. For the next two days, he was kind of grumpy and didn't talk to me. We're at this conference, so it was okay. I was talking to other people. Um, I think we did have to share a room, but we didn't talk much. Uh, um, on the way home... He tells me, hey, man, I think you're right. I was wrong. And he apologized and said, you know, that is true. I need to change the way I think about these things. You know, and, he, and he grew from that. It was a growing time. But we have to remember that even people that are far from Jesus, we need to hold the standard of like, man, he, he wasn't a Christian at this point. But I was still calling out dishonesty. In the, so I was discipling him, in a sense, to Jesus. Later on, he came to follow Jesus, okay? And th that was just one piece of the puzzle. And I was, we're at a work environment, and I'm just sharing, like, dude, that's dishonest. You can do that. You can do that at work. Man, that's wrong what you're doing right there. Call it out. You might, you know, you might take a little bit of heat. It's good. You might have to be at odds and be in conflict for two days. Can you handle that? Some people can. It's hard for them. But, you know, it was weird not talking to your friend after for two days, but, you know, it was like, hey, if that's the way you're going to, like, I'm just calling you out on honesty. I had a kid, I, I was working at Fort Scott um, in ministry, and we were working, we were trying to go to Last Chance U. Have anybody seen that show? Everybody, yeah, a few people. So we decided to go to this university, to these junior college kids who are like Division I football players that actually like did something stupid. They got bad grades, they cheated, they maybe did some criminal activity, they sexual harassment, whatever, and they're at this place in Fort Scott, an hour south of here, right? And we went there to try to preach the gospel and reach these young men. And many of them are from Alabama, Oregon. You'd recognize some of their names. And they're living in these crazy dorms, and we're trying to reach them. One day in the cafeteria, I'm talking to a young man from Tennessee, and he's a star running back. And he's telling me a story, and he's telling me, oh, yeah, man, I shared my answers with everybody. Like, that's normal. We just share the answers, and you're allowed to do that. That's like, I'm like, wait, during a quiz or test? I'm like, start asking questions. And I'm like, bro, that's cheating. No, it isn't, man. It's my, that's my brother. That's my brother. He, I, that's not cheating. What? 
What? Everywhere I've ever known, if you're sharing answers in a test or a quiz, that's cheating. He's like, he goes, that's not in my Bible. <laughs> I was like, okay. I was like, okay, all right. He's bringing the Bible into it. Let's talk about the Bible. Are you sure that this is being honest here? Like right here, cheat. This is cheating. Like you, wait, you let a guy look at your answers in a test where the teacher and you're giving your answers to another guy to do. Yeah, he goes, I know all the answers. So I just give it to my friends, the answers. I'm like, bro, that's cheating. He's like, man, you're crazy. And he brings over two of his buddies from the football team. Man, do you think this is cheating? Blah, 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 blah. And they say, man, that ain't cheating. And I'm like, man, I'm never going to win. <laughs> I mean, this is crazy. This is crazy. How is that? But anyways. I digress. Okay, I don't even know where I'm at now. All right. Um, you know, I think sometimes we move, you know, we have to let Jesus move in people's hearts. And I know in my own mind, sometimes I think, that person isn't ready for the good news. You know, we assume things about people. They would never relate because maybe they're transgender or because they live in a Republican paradigm or a Democrat paradigm or because they don't wear masks or they do wear masks. We don't think the gospel can penetrate paradigms. We have to remember, we can't say no for people. And we put, do that too many times. They'll never respond. They'll never say yes. We say no for people. We can't make that assumption for people. God is the one who will help the gospel take root and grow, grow it in our friends, our neighbors, and coworkers. And it's often the least likely people. Watch this scene. I think it'll work this time. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew! Matthew, son of Alpheus! Join you. Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to What are you doing? Where do you think you're going? Guys, let me go. You lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. Yes. I don't get it. You didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. 
get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. All right. What's the tablet for? As I close, you know, I, 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 I want to just close up here a couple things. When I was reached by Jesus, I, people would have thought, man, this guy is least likely to come to Jesus. I was living like hell. I was in law school going crazy. People would have said, man, Rich is far from Christ. There's no chance. But then God slowly drew me. And then the person came and spoke to me, and I was ready. And I made the decision to follow Jesus. You don't know who, your job is to locate who are the people that God is drawing right now. You know, I want you to understand it's not going to be perfect and you're going to mess up, but you and I have the job to reflect God's kingdom in the day-to-day grind of work, at school, and in our homes. And it will look different for each person. One clue is to look at the biblical concept of shalom, which is usually translated peace. In the Garden of Eden, before the fall, there was a perfect shalom. There was universal flourishing, and things were the way they were supposed to be. Man's fall into sin had a devastating effect on the whole of creation. It was, uh, it was as if the very fabric of the created order began to unravel, and the whole creation began to experience a lack of shalom. Christ has set about reweaving this shalom, which will culminate in his coming kingdom. You know, in his book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, Cornelius Platinga explains shalom as, and I love this explanation, the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. Shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That's what you, you and I are supposed to be doing, bringing shalom, bringing universal flourishing to this earth. Is that happening around you? Reaching others with the good news of Jesus and then helping them live out his word just like someone did for us. Lift up your eyes, see people, let them see your life. You know, make sure you're being open and transparent. And then when an opportunity arises, share the truth of Jesus with them. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have this morning, Lord God. Father, I just pray that our hearts, Father God, would be stirred to see people right where they're at, right where they're at in our lives, in our communities, where we are, Lord God, where we play, where we work. Father, I pray that we would see people, Lord God, and that we would be open to share the real us, open and transparent, to share our lives, Father God, with, these, with, with our neighbors. And then, Father, that we would share about your kingdom and what you've done in our lives and how you you filled the broken pieces in our life, Lord God. Father, we thank you that you want to do a great work and you want to bring your kingdom through us, that you used us, humans, Father God, to bring your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now. 
and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org. And we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.